Hey Common Scientists, this is Lauren coming to you live on this week's podcast on Common Science. We're asking the question about animals and we'll see what kind of twists and turns this conversation takes as we explore the question, are humans animals? And if we are or aren't, what are some similarities and differences we have as Homo sapiens sapiens or Homo sapiens? Uh, between the traditional animals or the animalistic sense that we think of when we think of the word animal. And just to remind everyone and our listeners, we are not experts. We come to you as common scientists and we're all about asking the questions and having a conversation about it. So to kick it off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Aiden to give us a bit of an understanding of the word animal, where it came from, and a bit of the definition of our common understanding today. Sure. Uh, so... Thank you, Lauren. This is Aiden, and animal, the word animal comes from animalis, the Latin uh, root, and it means having breath, um, which I think is super fascinating, especially given my, um, just the general theme with, uh, I've been doing a lot of yoga lately, and this focus on breath is, is fascinating to me. I'm curious, Dre, um, so what did, what did, where did your research take you in preparation for this episode? <clears throat> Before I go into where my research took me, sure. I definitely agree with that part on the breath piece. That's super fascinating to me that that's where the word animal comes from, and even just the historical um, importance that humans have put philosophically and spiritually on having breath. I just, I don't know, that just really, really fascinates me. And it really gives, and in my mind, it gives a lot of credence to things like you're saying, like yoga breath work and how that impacts you and how important it is. And I know there's the book Breath that came out recently. And I mean, that dude and the research he did was incredible. And how how's breath breathing, breathing through the nose is um, associated with intelligence and face structure and all this type of stuff. So, I mean, that's really, really cool. And shout out to the origin of words. Etymology is super cool. <laughs> teach, you, teach you a lot. Uh, with my research, so I actually, going back to the question, like, are humans animals? There's two kind of dichotomies that have always fascinated and vexed me to the nth degree. And that's the wording of drugs and alcohol and then humans and animals. That's always really been like super frustrating for me because I'm like, for the drug, alcohol is a drug. It's like, why do you keep like trying to make this delineation and making it seem like it's not so bad just because our culture revolves around it in America at least. And then for animals and humanity, I understand it because we are humans, we're anthropocentric. So like we are obviously, and that's kind of what we strive to do in a large part with religion and self-actualization is separate ourselves from nature. Um, and put ourselves above and hold the mean over and all that type of stuff. But it really creates a disconnect for me from nature and from animals that is, I think it's kind of harmful in some of our ideologies and how we view our, ourselves and also our brethren animals. Yeah, um, to me, what you're just saying there about it being um, possibly harmful this kind of delineation yeah i i i've totally seen it too and there is definitely a, a delineation between um humans and animals and that we we want to see ourselves as different um i'm curious uh lauren what have been your some of your experiences seeing this kind of 
dichotomy and and what your your some of what are some of your beliefs or, or research around that topic? So I want to actually take it back to Dre's example, right? So what you were saying is there's an umbrella term of drugs as an example, and then alcohol is a drug, but often we refer to them separately, drugs and alcohol. And you're saying the same is true of the homo sapien, the human, and the animal. And the difference between the two or the common delineation is an issue. Am I understanding you right? Um, they're just, the wording of it seems to suggest and eventually promulgate a difference between the two. And not, a difference isn't like an otherness about it. Or like a more, I don't know, yeah, I guess like an otherness. Yeah, yeah. Huh, that's, I mean, it's just interesting. Um, some of the thoughts that I had associated to the idea of, of the animal or animalistic tendencies or, or human tendencies, which is interesting that I even just there separated the two human tendencies versus animal tendencies, um, are really that we as humans do often have animal-like tendencies however because of how far we have evolved i don't know that i would consider us very animal um while i know there are lots of pieces of our psychology and pieces of our biology that are rooted in our animal uh, existence or where we came from i think because of the self-actualization that we're sort of on this route toward our animalistic nature is much less. And so I, I think I would be pro-separating the idea of the animal and the idea of a person. I don't know what um, you guys think. Yeah, I, so one thing, I've been um, reading this book called Sapiens. Uh, I can't quite recall the author, um, but one thing that he explores is this idea of us feeling separate and wanting to kind of override these animalistic tendencies um what i thought was fascinating is so he titles the book sapiens and that's because he separates so sapiens us homo sapiens sapiens um <laughs> from other of the homo genus genus um and he talks about how historically uh we as as what we call a modern day human um we probably eradicated um, the other, the others of the Homo genus. So we are the sole remaining one of this Homo genus, and because we're the sole remaining one of the Homo genus, there's um, seems to be much more distinction from us with other organisms. And he just talks about, um, and just kind of a, a thought-provoking idea is this idea that, um, oh if if there were other members of our genus around today will we still have this um distinction between human humans and animals um i thought that was just um definitely thought provoking but it does kind of get back to what you're talking about lauren about um wanting to override kind of these like animalistic tendencies what are some of these animalistic tendencies um that you're trying to override or that like you think 
um, we are as as humans and and what are we striving for what okay we'll go we'll kick it over to Dre because <laughs> Lauren is is cracking up over here what's going on all right <laughs> we'll let you settle, simmer down over there. So, Lauren, Lauren is was laughing so hard that she can't respond, and neither of us are certain wh- why. Okay. Some animalistic tendencies. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, trying to keep my, I'm trying to keep it together here. Okay, so I busted out laughing because the first thing that came to mind, and I'm, I was trying to compose myself, uh, but the first thing that came to mind was the common tendency in women to not allow themselves to expend gas in any social instance. Fart is what she's referring to, right? Yeah, I don't want to bust out laughing again. (laughs) And, And it just, it's silly that that came up in my mind right away. But the reason I started laughing is because I... I think this is something probably every single human has done in their lifetime has like try to hold it in depending on the context or the situation. It's a really animal tendency. We even know it's healthy. Um, and then I was frustrated with myself for also just thinking first of, of potty instances. So that's why I just was laughing, but yeah, that's super something, mature. Something we all relate to. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that obviously there's a lot of culture, cultural influence on negative smells and disgust and stuff like that, but also disgust is one of the basic uh, human emotions, and it's related to staying away from bad foods and death and decay and disease and stuff like that. Rotting things are not usually good for you, so therefore smelling things that smell better usually not good for you because um, we develop that. If something is rotting, then it's stinky. And now evolutionarily our brain tells us, okay, that's something that's bad. And then what, what always has fascinated me is dogs, how they seem to like farts. And obviously <laughs> butts, they smell butts. So it's like, and it seems enjoyable to them. And I've always wondered, um, and even too like uh, Lou, the dog that lives in this household and owned by my wife, he will like roll around in like dead birds and stuff. And I'm like, dude, like that's bird flu. Like, <laughs> he has death to decay, but it's like for him, he thinks it's something good. And that's, that's always been, I don't know. I just always found that so bizarre. Like, how do you not sniff that, realize it's rotting and be like, no, I'm going to stay away from that. And I don't know. And he obviously sniffs his own butt and farts. And in regard to like social and cultural situations, I, I mean, I am definitely opposed to farting in social settings. Partly it's because, like, I get, like, I'm embarrassed about it, but also it's, like, it's also stinky as shit. So I'm, like, literally, so I'm, like, I don't want to, like, inhale anybody else's butt fumes. So it's, like, I don't want anyone that they don't mind. Uh, and yeah. now when Lou toots around me or M, like, M will, like, look at him and he knows and he'll, be like, and he'll jump off the couch and then smell his butt and, like, walk away. He knows that. It is not socially acceptable for him to toot by us. So it's kind of funny. That. That's too funny. So you've trained that animalistic tendency out, even out of Lou. Yeah, um, that's right. Wild. Wild. One, uh, so one thing that does come to mind uh, about this, at least this apparent difference that's um, presented between humans and animals 
um, that came to mind when you guys were talking about uh, avoiding farting in social situations is that is how social we are. Um, and that was a, another reason why so uh, Homo sapiens sapiens were so successful at um, eliminating some of these other uh, members of their genus was because we are, were so social is, is because we could have uh, hundreds of people living together in, in um, one group. But yeah, um, it's just a, a thought I had. Um, are there any other animal human questions bouncing around in your brain, Lauren? So the other thing that I think of when when we talk about this conversation about animals versus humans and the animalness of a human um, is actually based off a book that I've been reading called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he's an Auschwitz survivor and psychologist, and he talks about his experience in, um, in the concentration camp, specifically Auschwitz where he spent some time and he talks about being treated like an animal, uh, uh, which I think is interesting in and of itself, right? Because we are technically animals. But then he goes on to talk about some of the problems that people have today with meaning and the meaning of life. And he relates that actually back to the distance, and this is obviously my interpretation, but the distance that we have come in evolution. So, for example, because we used to find meaning in life out of survival, and now we have so much time on our hands where a majority of the population isn't as... Uh, fixated on survival per se in the same way that people were hundreds of years ago that we have lost meaning because that has been taken from us and then he goes on further to say that then well at least we had tradition to lie up against or to revert to so if we didn't have survival instincts we had to think about we at least could fall back on tradition but now humans, and specifically he points out America, has come so far from that, that even that is not something that we can rely on. And so because we've come so far away from being animals, we struggle to find meaning to even exist, which I think is a really fascinating claim. And he goes on to propose some solutions and specifically talk about his psychological theory uh, which is also very interesting. It's called Logotherapy. I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, but that's the thought that comes to mind when we talk about the distance between a human and an animal and whether a human is an animal. Um, yeah. How did, how did we get to this point? How did we get... It's just a question I posed to both of you guys. Like, How did we get so far removed from animals that we don't even feel like we are at times? Um, like what about humans did that and got us more towards like what you're saying like where we even struggle for meaning if we don't even have to worry about survival necessarily hmm. yeah I think a superiority in certain facilities such as cognitive ability obviously ability to make tools having opposable thumbs 
And then eventually having houses that literally separated us from nature and other animals. So I think that kind of, obviously our brains are much, much different than pretty much any other animal, it seems like. And as spirituality kind of developed and the sense of God and things that are greater, I think that's what really pulled us out of, I mean, I don't technically think that we're out of the animal kingdom, but kind of pulled us away from and out of the animal kingdom um, into this different field. And I believe that, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess that's why I really think it is, is for some reason we, like you said, talked about talking about meanings. For some reason we decided that we need more meaning in our life. Like there's this, there's this greater calling and there's many there's many things that have been challenged and debunked of what separates animals or humans from other animals but I th i'm pretty certain and pretty confident saying that animals do not search for meaning right so i think that's really what separates us from them and mm -hmm. kind of makes us feel other and perhaps yeah. superior yeah that's super fascinating the search for meaning um one idea i have also come across is is our capacity for fiction um, and I guess that would be very tied into, into your mm. ideas there in terms of like finding meaning, like the, because we have the ability to even like think about the abstract and communicate about the abstract. Yeah. Um, I think rather the, than like the real world or physical world. Yeah. And the farther you distance yourself like behaviorally and even like physically from something, I think even like a dog, I'm sure they feel much more similar if they have this sort of feeling to a cat than like at a crocodile, right? Like I, I doubt Lou might come up to a cat and try to play with it or whatever. I don't know if he's going to try to play with a crocodile. Like there's a sense of otherness to that animal because they're very, very different. And I'm sure he can kind of sense like something in him senses like that guy does not think like me. The look in his eyes is not the same as me, you know, versus like obviously we're much closer to dogs and genetically speaking and behaviorally speaking, it seems like we have a lot of similarities with them. Mm -hmm. And as we have, like I said, start searching for meaning and behaving in different ways, not striving. Like if Lou was in the wild, he's obviously fighting for food every single day, fighting for shelter. As we haven't had to do that, we've separated ourselves. And now it's like now we're looking at them as other because we don't have the same needs as them anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and is a lot. I mean, very similar to what Viktor Frankl argues and this problem uh, he terms the existential vacuum. I'll just read a little excerpt, um, an excerpt from his book. So he says, no instinct tells him what he has to do. So we've come away from that, right? And no tradition tells him what he ought to do. Sometimes he does not even know what he wishes to do. We're referring to man here. Instead, he either wishes to do what other people do, conformism, or he does what other people wish him to do, totalitarianism. And I think this exact problem, this existential vacuum, if you will, or yeah, this strive for something greater, this strive for meaning is, yeah, what has pulled us away from, like you said, Dre, our needs are different. Our desires even are different than they are for dogs or cats or what have you. Hmm. That's, oh, I don't, I don't think I can work through this in real time, but conformism and totalitarianism is interesting to me because I think like what Frankl is, what he just said there with how he falls into those things. 
I think that is falling, us falling into being animalistic. That's what animals do. They conform so they can survive. And then there's a lot of times in like a pack or something, there's kind of this figure. He may, be, he may not be a dictator, but in general, like you listen to the king of the pride, you listen to the leader of the pack right. or else there's consequences, right? That, you know, in general, we don't really have those as humans anymore. Um, or at least in America, we don't have them as saliently. We don't have what as humans? Like, for example, if a gamma or a beta, omega, whatever they are, in a wolf mm-hmm. in a pack, steps like tries to challenge the leader, he's gonna get messed up. Yeah. Right. There's gonna be some serious consequences, and he might also be kicked out, ostracized from the pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where I guess we do, we obviously do have ostracization and consequences, yeah. but I don't know. See, I don't. I guess we do have that. Still. <laughs> so, so I'm just being too human. Thinking so what do you what do you think of this? What do you think of this? He goes on to say the existential vacuum. So referring to this problem manifests itself mainly in a state of boredom. Say that again. The existential vacuum manifests itself mainly in a state of boredom. So this problem of of not knowing uh, what to do or um, the next step even mainly happens when you're bored. Oh, it mainly happens when you're bored? I thought mm-hmm. it was saying it mainly leads to boredom. That's what no. I thought it was saying. Mm-mm. It's mainly when you're bored. Um, I hear that, and I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense if we've evolved these very highly capable cognitive abilities and you have nothing to do. You don't need to like go out and work or you don't need to go out and... Um, yeah, I mean... Where, where does the mind go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it makes to a lot Netflix. of sense. To ne- <laughs> Netflix. Oh, man, yeah, that'll give you some existential dread flipping through those Netflix on channels. To me, it depends on what he's saying. If he's, mm-hmm. if he's saying boredom as in, like, idleness, and there's the, obviously the popular quote, idle, an idle mind is the devil's playground. If he's talking about mm-hmm. that, then I can see a lot of credence to that idea. But... Just, I don't know exactly what the idea of boredom is talking about. Because for me, I'm super judgmental of anybody who says that they're bored. Mm-hmm. And I know that people's brains work differently, so I'm, I give some leeway. But in general, I'm like, if you're sitting around saying that you're bored, that's a character flaw to me. I mean, in 2021, you're bored? I'm like, come on. The, the world is your oyster in America. Like, you can do a lot of things. And in a lot of, a lot of places, I just don't want to, like, there's obviously people who struggle and the world is not their oyster. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I don't right. want to, like, you know, act like everything's a giant. But for, in general, you know, like, we live, 2021 is the best time to ever, ever be homo sapien sapien. And I just, I never struggle with boredom. There's something that you can do. Like, go out and do it. Why are you sitting yeah. there, like, I don't know. That just seems like character flaw to me. So that part that kind of like triggers me. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Man. I don't know, Frankel. I don't know what you're talking about, man. That's awesome, though. And I think it's super interesting because he probably would agree with you. So he's saying, like, those who have fallen into this it, are stuck in this mental trap. Like, are you really bored? Is there not something you could do? Is there not some meaning you could create on this Saturday yeah, or Sunday? Could you pursue. not go out? Yeah. And do this next thing in this next moment? Right. I think he'd probably agree with you. Yeah. You guys would be homies, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think ah oh, see i think yeah, it is oh i i step i definitely still am uh vexed by people kind of separate like always saying humans and animals stuff like that but we are obviously other in a way mm-hmm. and i think that's a good point what kind of we've been talking about with not having those same needs and like 
not needing to hunt every single day and stuff like that. Because it's like, as a, for hundreds of thousands of years, as a species fighting every day to survive and pursuing and hunting elk and stuff like that, there was a very clear goal. And now it's like, we still need to be in the pursuit of something. But we just always, we just aren't, there's not a natural thing. It's not like, like if I knew I was hungry, I need to go hunt. I'm in pursuit of something. I have a goal. I have a purpose. I'm good. But now it's like, I don't, there's nothing I need to do. I'm good. So it's like, I'm not always in a constant pursuit. And therefore, like I'm idle. I'm quote unquote bored in a sense. Um, so that, I, I can see how that leads to existential, existential dread in modern man. And even too, like speaking of pursuit, like when I'm, Obviously, like anybody can pursue anybody romantically, but in general, traditionally, like with as a man pursuing a woman, like that's like when you're least bored, least idle, least like purposeless. Like you are, you you are on a mission, and you feel great yeah. when you're pursuing a lover. And I don't know, that's a really obviously like we're getting a little bit kind of abstract. Yeah, abstract. Now it's an abstract pursuit versus a physical one and all that type of stuff. But it's like I think that's kind of analogous, and I think it's kind of the same thing in a way, or at least how we transition and separate ourselves from animals. From, pursuing the physical to the abstract. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this separation then is also where we get the idea that people have dominion over animals that we can? I think, so I think the dominion over animals came out of a, was a coping mechanism. Uh, and hear me out. I think it was, uh, I mean, I think because we are mammals and we can actually feel empathy for dogs and cats and even like a cow or even a pig or whatever it is, I think it was this um, like kind of making people feel better about like slaughtering these animals and, and consuming them for food. Um, and that's my own personal philosophy on that and i'm curious what your guys's takes are um back but yeah I've, I've thought about that too and i think i think it yeah that's that's where i've landed so yeah what are your, what are your thoughts Jay? thousands of years ago people were like all right we can either go vegan or we could just be like nah we're better than we got dominion over these fools uh, I don't really know. I, obviously, I know the biblical roots of it. I'm not sure how far back it... Like, I don't know if, like, the Greeks were talking about it and so-and-so. Yeah. But animals were domesticated, what, 10,000... Well, not... Well, they're obviously different. So, dogs, like, 50,000 years ago. Cats, like, 15,000. Cattle, like, 10,000 years ago. Something like that. And then agriculture, like, 10,000 years ago. So, I think at that point, there was probably some sort of God complex that came to man. And honestly, I'm just philosophizing. I don't, I don't know. But there's probably some sort of gothics where it's like, what else could you think once you have genetically altered and like tamed these beasts, including agriculture? Um, like, what else can you think but this is mine to wield? Right. Um, I don't know. So I think that's just, that's just a natural emerging belief system from that. Um, and then obviously, like, some of the religions and stuff and those ideas come. It depends on how you think of it. If, Obviously, you could think it came before or after chicken and egg, but I don't know. That's my two cents. What are your takes, Lauren? I think what's interesting is the the delineation between dominion over meaning dominance or meaning responsibility for. Because there are two different groups of people, I think, that do in some way assert dominance over animals and those are the ones who want to protect them and the ones who want to eat them 
Isn't that the words. difference between dominion and stewardship, though? Like the words? Yes. Like, right. Yes. Even in the Bible or wherever historical text talking about, isn't stewardship more like the taking care of them and the responsibility? And dominion is just like, no, like, these are yours. You're the master of these. Yeah, but I think depending on the biblical translation that you look at, you'll find different you'll find different words and even different verses completely for the Bible verse that, that where that seems to have originated. Okay, sorry um, for interrupting going with no, your No, no, and I, I think though, depending on whom you talk to with a Christian background, many people believe in at least my community that having dominion over um, means that you have to have some sense of stewardship, means that like as the person in charge or at the top, if you will, of the food chain, it is your responsibility to make sure that those things are taken care of, that there is balance, that we are not taking more than, more than we need. Um, in this context, I just, I think that's something that comes to mind for me. Yeah. So I just, I just did a quick Google search and Dominion does, um, like mean having ownership over and stewardship is just means being more of a caretaker. And I would think, I mean, having ownership over something would would entail stewardship um, or should entail stewardship. And so it is, yeah, like, I mean, if you're the owner of a rental property, you want to take care of it because otherwise it'll, or whatever it is, um, owner of a laptop, you want to take care of it. Um, but yeah, I think, Lauren, your, your delineation is super fascinating um i think the idea of of right of dominance does come um but i do think that's like part of the like coming back to this whole idea of like are we different from animals and we talked about some of the maybe the problems of that and i think that is maybe one of the problems of this separation i do do think there is a separation because of the difference in in values that we have um, between us and uh, other wild animals. Um, but I do think one of the problems is this kind of more, uh, because they are l- like less than I can like dominate and do whatever I want with, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Do you think if there was an, if we were not the highest in the food chain on earth, do you think we would see ourselves as separate from the animal kingdom? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it depends on like, so this idea of us being at the highest on the food chain, I think, I don't think we would if we were, I mean, incorporated in, like if we're talking about early humans kind of, um, scenario where we're hunter gatherers and we have our, like our, our small shelters and we're not totally like separate from, um, like wild lands like so if we don't have our urban jungles and things like that like i think uh i think we would have a different perspective i think it comes from i mean you think about the modern world today and how humans are literally everywhere and we're kind of like made the planet our our like anthill in a way um i think probably contributes to some of that um what other kinds of problems do you guys think might come from this like distinction between humans and animals or have you noticed 
obviously I'm a vegan, so I see some yeah. problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I mean, similar, not similar. Oh, I can't relate myself to Victor Frankl or Eli Wiesel <laughs> or Eli, Eli, is that his name, Eli? Eli Wiesel? Eli um, Wiesel. Okay, there you go. Much better pronunciation. Um, because their sort of suffering and the conclusions they drawn are far greater, both their conclusions and their suffering. But I extrapolate suffering. I used to, like, it took me a long time to become mature enough to extrapolate suffering from just myself, just my family, just Minnesota, whatever, people who look like me, whatever it might be, eventually to really having a deep and profound um, empathy for, like, the gay community abroad, specifically in Russia, the plight of women historically, um, et cetera, et cetera. All these groups that have been and still are ostracized and persecuted. And it was within the last couple of years and what led me to go vegan is just extrapolating my empathy and my desire to end as much suffering as possible in the, on earth to animals. And I, it's hard for me, if you are gonna argue that animals do not suffer, that's going to be a really, really hard argument to make philosophically off the eye test or scientifically. And then if you're going to argue that it's okay to inflict that suffering, now you're working with some crazy amounts of cognitive dissonance and inconsistencies in your logic. For example, in America, the vast majority of people will not tolerate somebody beating their dog. Like beating beating not like a little bit discipline but just beating a dog whatever throwing them off out of the car all these crazy stories that we hear but down the road at the local slaughterhouse it's like all these animals are just being completely abused and i don't i think it's a horrible um i think it's horrible stewardship and horrible dominion so for me i think we're doing it's bad for our spirit it's bad for the future of humanity bad for the future of animals bad for the future of the earth to continue pretending as if we are separate from the animal kingdom and somehow above them. We have developed, evolution has given us a particular, even, even if it's God or the universe, cosmic energy, whatever you want to call it, we've been blessed with a particular set of skills on earth that have made us better fit to survive than other animals. That's it. Not one part of that makes you better than them, makes you more important, makes you more whatever. And the fact that we've been treating animals this way actually makes us debased. It makes us less than. And if it, not less than animals, then less than ourselves. And when it comes to morality, because people are talking about, oh, like the lion eats the gazelle. It's like, the lion doesn't have morality. The lion does what it needs to do. We have reason. And we're, I don't like, I don't know. So for me, I'm just like, that's a huge issue for me um, spiritually, for the trajectory of humans, for the trajectory of AI. And I think we should be just like as we should be lifting up people out of poverty, lifting up people out of um, like not being miseducated, not being educated. I think we should also be lifting our animals <laughs> out of like, just like when the animal is like in the shelter or something, you adopt it to take it out of that life of prison it was going to live and probably get put down in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why are we not doing this for some of our brethren in nature? And I'm not, obviously I know the animal kingdom was crazy as heck. Like a lot of times humans interfere and we mess things up. So I'm not like, I'm not like making up some crazy mojo. So I'm just saying like, we should take better care of them. And since we know better, we should do better. I don't care what a lion does and what a wolf does. It doesn't know any better. It doesn't have any faculties. 
mm-hmm. to like for us to place a moral judgment on it but since we do know better we should do better especially when it comes to higher animals where like we know like for example like the orca we know that they have a more advanced emotional system than us so mm-hmm. therefore they probably feel more and deeper levels of suffering than us but still we will inca- we will um, put them in cages or whatever you want to call it, captivity and watch them suffer watch their fins like droop and watch them start like cannibalizing and acting a fool and it's like we know this but as humans and as these all moral holy creatures we just continue to t- continue to perpetuate this type of society and that's a huge issue for me yeah <laughs> um yeah i'm trying to think of where to begin from that um i mean one thing that did stick out to me was the problem of this kind of superiority complex and like this um perspective of inequity and of like inequality and this was one of the other issues that i had come across uh not so much in my research but just in the past um i recall examples of during slavery when they would present um black individuals as monkeys and that's like a whole horrible horrible um act but i I see a lot of similarities there in this like attitude of superiority versus like we're all we're all in this we're all trying to survive we're all trying to like live our best lives and and go forward yeah i think it points out the dangers of having a superiority complex or of feeling like we have dominion because people are fickle and so there can be moments where we would decide then that some life is worth less than whether it's an animal um in the traditional sense or historically like um like you just mentioned Eden and specifically um in American history but also all over the world where there have been groups of human people who have been oppressed because someone felt like they were greater than or a group of people felt greater than. Yeah, that's an interesting extrapolation. And what I thought of when Dre was talking, when you said animal brethren, the idea that like we are brothers and sisters, not only as people, as humans, but that a dog or a cat or some something else that's living something that has breath um is is something (laughs) is something that should be elevated (laughs) so now you have to explain yeah so i just whispered over to dre um when when lauren was bringing up animal and he sorry i derailed lauren's train of thought uh, was that oh breath brethren um it's yeah gotta have similar <laughs> just to tie it back but um uh, sorry about that on that note um we're at about time and i hope that this podcast challenged you to think a little bit about your own animalistic tendencies the difference if there is between homo sapiens and other living animals, other breathing lives um, around the globe and how we can be better stewards or at least challenge ourselves to be common scientists and ask questions about the topic.